lives, situations that don't go our way, when we're not happy with the way things are, it's easy to allow anger and bitterness to grow roots in the soil of our, of our hearts. Uh, some time ago, a member in our congregation, a brother, approached me and shared with me how he is uh, struggling and battling anger in his life. And uh, I encouraged him to get together with another brother in our congregation who I've known uh, to have battled against a sin and inclination of anger for some time, and the Lord has given him grace in, in doing that. So I encourage this brother to reach out to this other brother in our church and say, you might, you might really gain a lot from talking to him and learning how he's been battling anger. And the response I got from the brother said, really? I would have never thought that that person struggled with anger. And the reason why we have such responses is because we often think of anger as only the, the certain visible manifestations of anger and fail to realize that anger is more than just external, loud, or visible behavior. There are many subtle forms of anger. David Paulison, in his uh, great book uh, called Good and Angry, makes the following confession. I was born easygoing. I can take no credit for my innate disposition of being low-key. For many years, I didn't think I had an anger problem. I found angry people puzzling and a bit intimidating. Why do they bother to get so bent out of shape over that? But either I've become a worse person as I've gotten older, or I've learned to know myself a bit better. He goes on to say, quiet brooding, defensive withdrawal, judgmental thoughts, low-grade irritability, a critical attitude, avoiding outright conflict, Indifference to repairable wrongs, these are my less dramatic brands of an anger problem. Friends, anger has many forms. Some are visible, many others are not. And this morning, we want to look at various fruits of anger in our hearts. And I pray that God would enable us to fight uh, to uproot the fruits of anger in our hearts whatever shape and form they take. I encourage you and invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be reading from verse 17 to 32. If you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the seat in front of you. Uh, They are black-looking covered Bibles. We'd love for you to open them. Uh, And our pew Bibles, this passage, may be found on page number 978. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to grab our Bible, uh, the pew Bible, take it home and and be yours. We'd love for you to read it. As you're opening the Bible, I want to remind you that this is the last uh, sermon in a series of five topical uh, sermon series. The first three were on the issue of sexual purity. The last two are on the issue of battling anger. Last week, Ryan led us uh, and preached uh, the first sermon on anger, and this morning we're finishing up 
this topical series on, uh, on anger. Here's God's word for us this morning. Ephesians 4.17 Now, this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talking, corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts. Would you bow with me, asking God to bless our hearts in the preaching of his word. Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning in a way that our hearts might be exposed, in a way that the light of of Christ and the truth about Jesus may shine on any dark corners of our hearts, particularly as we approach a theme of of anger. We pray, O Lord, that your truth would be powerful and effective this morning in this congregation. For the glory of Christ and in his name we pray. Amen. Anger is most easily seen in people when uh, they get into some sort of conflict, some sort of relational animosity, some sort of verbal uh, fight with one another, raising their voices, accusing each other, calling names, being antagonistic towards one another. The presence of personal conflict and arguments is one of the clear, clear manifestations of, of anger. Uh, preaching from James chapter 4, uh, Pastor Ryan helped us last weekend to understand that the roots of sinful anger are our selfish desires. We get angry 
because we don't get what we want. While not all anger is sinful, we were reminded last week that righteous human anger is very, very rare. Most often, our human anger is not righteous. And Ryan gave us last week uh, four criteria for differentiating between righteous human anger and unrighteous human anger. Uh, And then he finished off with giving four hopeful steps how we can be putting away uh, sinful anger. And if you missed the sermon last week, I encourage you to go online and listen to it again. The text we're looking at today uh, picks up again the theme of anger. But we learn from this passage that anger has many facets. It has several visible facets and forms like yelling or the verbal conflict or slander. But anger is not limited only to the visible forms. There are many other forms of anger that we need to consider. And if we only focus on the visible forms of anger, we might think we're doing well with anger if we're not exhibiting that outward behavior. But if, if that's what we settle for, we miss the biblical teaching on anger, and we actually could be missing an inner battle that's happening in our hearts, and we might be careless about it. And this morning, we want to look at three points about anger from this passage, from Ephesians 4, 4 um, verse 17 through the end of the chapter. And the three points, the three big points we're going to look at are, don't ignore your anger. Don't ignore your anger, regardless of the forms it takes. Second, be aware of all forms of anger. Be aware of all forms of anger. And three, consider the alternatives for sinful anger. Consider the alternatives, the biblical alternatives for sinful anger. So let's look at each of these points, and I pray that the Lord would um, equip us to be more discerning of our own hearts as we consider the biblical uh, theme of anger. Don't ignore your anger. Three reasons from this passage, three subpoints for the first major point. Don't ignore your anger. Why not? Why should I be careful and, and not just assume that I don't have an anger problem if I don't yell or shout? Well, don't ignore your anger for three reasons. First of all, because sinful anger belongs to the old nature. Because sinful anger belongs to the old nature of sin. If in James chapter 4, last week, the occasion of of speaking about anger was the, the reality of conflicts between people, what is the occasion that leads Paul to speak today about anger? In Ephesians 4, Paul is speaking about what it looks like for Christians to follow Jesus in their daily lives. It means putting off the old nature, the old self, and putting on the new self, the new life that we have received from God when we have believed and repented of our, of our sins. Following Jesus means putting off the old and putting on the, the new Now, in in the book of Ephesians, in the first two chapters, Paul taught believers that putting off the old and putting on the new life of God is not something in our own power. It must be given to us from above. In in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said that all are dead in their trespasses and sins. 
And that God makes us alive in Christ out of grace. By grace, through faith, we are given a new life from God. And we receive this graciously out of God's mercy. It's not our own works. And then in chapter 3, Paul reminds us that being made right with God also has a horizontal implication. We are also being made right with one another horizontally. And then in chapter 4, Paul presents a contrast between living the old life that we used to be in and living the new life that we have received graciously from God. What is involved in putting off the old and putting on the new? And Paul gives us a list of areas of life where the contrast shows up. And we see that throughout all of chapter 4, it begins with sexual immorality and goes on to a list of other things. But one of the areas that's identified as, as a contrast between putting off the old and putting on the, the new is the area of anger. Paul says in verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So what's the occasion why Paul is bringing up the issue of anger? We are not aware that in, in, in Ephesians, in the, in the church in Ephesus, uh, conflict was necessarily a, a major problem um, as it was in the book of James. But here the problem or the issue that Paul encourages them is to realize that putting off the old and putting on the new self involves the way we deal with anger. So in this description, what it means to live the new nature that God has given us and what it means to live out the new life that we have received in Christ Jesus, according to Paul's teaching, the, the issue of anger is one of the litmus tests of whether or not we are living in the old self or in the new self. Whether we're giving into the old nature of sin or we are following and, get, and, and follow, living the new nature that we have received from God. So that's why don't ignore your anger. It's one of the litmus tests of whether or not you're living in the old self or the new self. A second reason why we should not ignore the anger is because it's an opportunity to sin. Anger is a fertile soil for sinning. We see this in verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, when it says the phrase, be angry and do not sin. If, if that's all you read out of context, you may walk away with a conclusion, look, the Bible is not against anger. I can, I, can ang I can be angry. Well, it's true in some ways that there are some forms of righteous human anger, but they are very, very rare, as Ryan pointed out last week as well. If we just keep reading verse a few verses down the text, verse 31, Paul is literally saying, put away anger. So how can, how can, can the Apostle Paul, in just five verses, on one side say, be angry and do not sin, but then a few verses later he says, uh, put away all anger. Is Paul contradicting himself? No, he's not. The issue is, we have to understand that the sense of be angry and do not sin is 
It's more of a warning than a permission. This is more of a caution than an allowance. It's when you are angry, be very careful that you don't sin. Because it is so easy for, for us to sin when we respond with anger. So take the verse, verse 26, not as a permission and an allowance to go on and be angry, but more like a warning and a big caution. The clear warning of verse 26 is that we would not allow anger to dwell inside of us for a long time. Why should we not in, in, um, ignore anger? Is because it's an opportunity to sin, and it's an opportunity to sin particularly when we allow anger to dwell inside our hearts for a long time. Now, you might say, how long should I not let anger stay inside of me? Well, verse 27, do not let the sun go down on your anger. As one Bible interpreter said, sin is to be avoided by ensuring that anger, if it occurs, is brief and is expelled immediately. It is so easy. It so easily becomes destructive of harmony that it certainly must not be allowed to smolder overnight. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I, I feel guilty already just thinking through how easy it is for anger to become sinful by the mere fact that I allow it to stay inside me overnight, at the very least. You avoid sinning when angry by not allowing anger to stay long inside of you. Don't ignore your anger. And third, a third reason why we should not ignore our anger is because it gives an opportunity to the devil. Look again at the last part of verse 27. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this phrase provides an important motivation why we should not ignore anger in our lives. When we allow anger to dwell inside of us, whatever shape and form that takes, we give an opportunity to the devil to exploit that situation or that relationship in which we're angry. Friend, when you let anger sort of dwell in you or just let it, let it have a free reign without checking in on it and taking control of it and actually uprooting it, when, when you just allow anger to be there, you just think, I am angry and I'm okay to be angry. I deserve to be angry. I have the right to be angry. He deserves that I am angry. And you think it's all about you protecting your agenda, your rights, your wishes. You think of your anger as a way of sort of getting back at, at a situation that's not going your way. And the Apostle Paul says, when you let anger inside, you think you're in control, but actually you are giving the right and the agenda and the desires to the devil to exploit. In reality, when you're sinfully angry, your anger serves not your desires, not your agenda, but the devil's desires and the devil's agenda. It's like in your house, do you leave the door open at night? Wide open? None of you sleep, none of us sleep with a door wide open and not even unlocked. We lock the doors. Why? Because we don't want to give a thief 
a burglar an opportunity to have an easy way in, right? But when it comes to anger, it's like saying when we allow anger to be inside of us, we are telling the devil, hey, I left the door open. You can come in and take, take what you want out of the house. Destroy what you want. Friends, when we allow anger to go unchecked, we give an opportunity to the devil. It's not about your desires and your agenda being fulfilled. You think they are fulfilled. And for a while, you might actually be happy that they are fulfilled in the way you want to, through your anger. But, that, but there's a deeper agenda and a deeper desire that's being fulfilled, and that's the devil's. So don't ignore your anger for these three reasons. But the second point we see in this passage, the second major point we see in this passage, is don't put, or, or put, I'm sorry, put away all forms of anger. Put away all forms of anger. Look at verse 31. If we're not to ignore our anger, what should we do with it? Put away. Put it away. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, all wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, even though in verse 26, Paul allowed for the rare possibility of being angry without sinning, here Paul shows how dangerous anger is. Anger in all its forms must be put away, must be rooted out of our lives. And Paul uses the language of putting away from us, or removing from us. In other words, anger is not to be managed or controlled, but to be put away. Our society might try to offer us clues and hints on how to, how to keep anger under control, but that is not the biblical command. The text tells us that it must be exterminated, put away. In this passage, we see that Paul is not content just to deal with one aspect of anger, but he exposes multiple facets of anger. Notice the five words Paul identifies in this list. And then they're all closed together with a final word. Paul identifies bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is a word for yelling or shouting, and slander. Now, commentators point that the first five areas here that Paul identifies um, are all related to anger. There are different facets of anger, and they are presented in progression. Anger starts with bitterness, and as it progresses, it grows and manifests in increasing visible ways, visible forms of wrath or yelling or slandering. Slandering is to, to speak about someone, to denigrate them, to defame them. Slander seeks to tear someone down, uh, in the way that person describes the other person. When you slander someone, you might speak very calmly. You might even speak very quietly. But you are slandering. And that slander, quiet and calm, comes from a heart full of anger. When God commands us to put away anger, notice where he starts. He doesn't start with the outward forms of anger. He starts with the inner forms of anger. He starts with bitterness. Verse 31, put away all bitterness. Friends, this means that we begin fighting anger by starting with the invisible forms of anger. 
such as bitterness. We're commanded not to put off just, just what other people see, but to put off the part of anger that, that many may not realize. It's in our hearts. Now, you know you should give, um, you know you should not give into the outward form of, forms of anger, like yelling and shouting or breaking something. But are you aware that you're also supposed to fight the inner forms of anger? Like bitterness? Everyone can see when you're outwardly angry. But bitterness is rarely seen on the outside. And other forms of invisible anger are also harder to spot. Now, what is bitterness? The word for bitterness is pikria, which can also be translated as anger, animosity, or harshness. In other words, even the, the definition of the Greek word itself associates anger with bitterness, with harshness, with animosity. And this animosity can be very quiet in our hearts. Or it may surface sometimes in various behaviors that we don't associate with animosity. Bitterness is when you keep a record of wrongs done against you. And you rehearse that record afresh in your mind and review those, of those wrongs. Bitterness causes you to keep wrongs fresh in your mind so that it fuels a flame of, of anger and animosity inside of you. As one Bible interpreter said, bitterness is the hard-heartedness that harbors resentment about the past. Or as David Pallison uh, pointed out, people who have bitterness recycle old hurts and nurse grievances and grudges. They never get over it. You know one way to point out if you have bitterness inside your heart? Do you ever use phrases towards someone like this? You never blank. You always blank, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter how nicely you might say it, but when you begin recounting the record of wrongs that someone has done against you, even while you say it with a smile, it could be coming from an angry heart, taken, overtaken by bitterness. Bitterness also makes our hearts harder to be reconciled with. When we allow bitterness inside us, we actually make it harder on our hearts to take the path of reconciliation. Because bitterness is a subtle and invisible form of anger. We actually don't want to reconcile. We want to hold on to our bitterness because we think that staying bitter is the right thing to do in this context. You think that bitterness is a fair thing for you to do. Someone is, if someone is unwilling to turn away from bitterness, that too is a form of anger. How do you know you are bitter or have subtle forms of anger in you? Bitterness does not have a neon light over it so that you can see it from a distance. It's more like the kind of stuff in your heart that you have to consider carefully and consider um, patiently and perhaps even invite someone else to help you 
expose it. Bitterness is, is manifested in a number of ways. Let me mention a few. Bitterness is manifested through ongoing complaining. For a person full of bitterness, complaining will come easy. Because bitterness causes us to complain. I'm not talking about bringing up a complaint once in a while. But having a regular pattern of conversations that become characterized by complaining is probably a sign of bitterness. Job connects complaining with bitterness. Job 7 and Job 10. In Job 7, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul, said Job. Job 10, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Friends, if you find yourself inclined to respond to someone or to a situation with consistent complaining and criticism, if you can't see the good, if you're, if you're more drawn to, to what's wrong, that complaining could be a manifestation of bitterness inside of you. This does not mean that giving constructive criticism is bitterness. But if you notice in you an uncontrollable criticism and constant complaining, or complaining that is unwilling to consider the matter fairly, it most likely is a form of bitterness. Bitterness or, or subtle forms of anger are also manifested through getting quickly irritated or becoming harsh. Yes, irritation and harshness can be forms of bitterness or forms of, of subtle anger. As one author put it, irritability is an anger on a hair trigger. You easily see it in others. You can so easily see when someone next to you gets quickly irritated. But do we see it in us? Are you around people who are easily set off and become visibly irritated? Do you know what it feels like to be around people who, among whom you have to walk like on eggshells? Well, if, if that's the case, you are around a person who is bitter. But I wonder if someone else may think the same about you. Have you considered that if you are a person who gets easily irritated or becomes harsh towards others easily, it could be a sign of anger inside of you. The Apostle Paul speaks of how bitterness can become a part of marriage. So Paul commands husbands to turn away from bitterness in the form of getting irritated or becoming harsh with their spouses. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. And the word for harshness there is the same word for bitterness. Exactly the same word. Friends, have you considered that a subtle form of anger inside of you is getting easily irritated and becoming harsh in your replies? Don't ignore your irritations. Consider them as opportunities to examine the kind of soil that is in your heart. Irritations and harshness could be manifestations of bitterness or anger in your heart. David Powelson said the fact that some of us overreact in less colorful ways does not mean that those who are quiet are not angry. Anger is the basic DNA of complaining, brooding, irritability, and bickering. Here's another manifestation of, of bitterness or anger. Here's another form of it. 
coldness, distance, and indifference. Coldness, distance, and indifference. As one author put it, have you seen people who want to disengage from a relationship or from a situation? They choose a path of saying, you know what, I just need to, I just need to withdraw from this. That act of withdrawal could be an act of bitterness and anger. David Powelson said, distance and indifference don't look like anger on the surface, but when you poke at it, the anger will come out. Sometimes we cover up our anger and try not to show it. But that does not mean that we are forsaking it. That does not mean that we are putting it away. Showing indifference or coldness or becoming distant are often the more tempting venues of how we choose to deal with anger in a way that looks like we're not angry. But in reality, we are. Anger, friends, it's more like, like a compressor tank. You know, you, if you have certain air tools in your garage, you need a compressor to, to power up those air tools. And when put to good use, they can be wonderful. But misused, an air compressor can be very dangerous. Sometimes we think as long as the air is not getting out, we're fine. We're not having an anger problem. But anger is not just the act of letting air get out. Anger is, anger is also the increasing of pressure inside the tank. And if you know anything about air compressors, they all come with a safety feature that at a particular maximum point, the, the compressor shuts off because going past beyond it, it is dangerous to explode. Friends, anger is like that compressor. And it's not just about the air that goes out of the tank that's anger. It's the air that that builds up inside, the pressure that builds up inside. And the problem with our hearts, our hearts don't have a safety mechanism to shut off the pressure. They just keep building up, builds up, builds up. Nobody knows. You're not looking at the gauge. You don't realize that it's building up pressure inside. Well, friends, consider the reality that anger takes many forms inside of us. Don't think about the the wisdom of just ignoring anger or avoiding anger or covering up anger. Friend, you may not see that your frustrations, complaining, coldness, or distancing is a form of anger, but each of these could well be subtle manifestations of anger or bitterness inside our hearts. And if you dig underneath each of them, the anger will quickly come out. Friends, would you take some time this week to examine your heart, to examine how anger manifests inside of you. Consider asking, if you're married, consider asking your spouse. I did this exercise last night with my wife. I said, how do I get angry? How do you see me get angry? And just let her talk. And husbands, if you do this, do not get angry while they answer. <laughs> and wives, do the same for your husband. Take change roles. And if you're not married, ask a trusted friend, how do you manifest anger? And when you have done that exercise, realize 
you have not addressed the major issue that this sermon is about. Namely, what about the invisible forms of anger? You've just asked someone else to tell you how they see you manifesting in anger. But what about the invisible forms of anger? And this is where you have to be courageous to look inside your heart. Why am I feeling irritated at the situation? Why do I feel so, so hard about this person or what they have done? When you feel irritated, when you feel like you want to complain, when you feel like you want to be harsh, pause. In those moments, turn the microscope towards yourself. Stop looking at the other person or at the other situation and see what is it about me that in this moment causes me to act in this way? What does this irritation tell me about myself? When we're angry, it's so easy to, to think about what this anger tells us about the other people. But it's about what's going on in our hearts. So friends, consider the reality that our anger goes inside our hearts without without getting out air, and yet it's brewing up inside of us. Look not only to the visible forms of anger, but let the less visible forms, such as bitterness, complaining, irritability, harshness, coldness, distancing. Be a gauge to consider how you're doing with the area of anger. Now, how are we to put all anger away? In this passage, Paul says, put all bitterness and the all could be applied to, to each of the five uh, words. Put all bitterness away. Put all wrath away. Put all anger away. Put all shouting away. Put all slander away. What does it mean? What, what are the alternatives for sinful anger? Well, look at verse 32. The Apostle Paul gives us three alternatives. What are better ways than holding on to anger or bitterness? The first one, look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. The first alternative to renounce, to put away anger and replace it with something else is kindness. Kindness. Replace anger. Replace bitterness. Replace irritability. Replace coldness. Replace distance. We replace withdrawal with kindness. The Greek word for kind is uh, the word which also means that which causes no discomfort. Sometimes we may think that we act kindly towards someone, but it does not come across as kind. That which causes no discomfort to the other. The best illustration of this comes from the life of David and Saul. As you know, um, in a few weeks we're going to start working through um, the book of First Samuel. And uh, my mind and heart has been in that book in preparation for that series. Remember the life of David and Saul? For about almost the second half of the entire book of 1 Samuel is the story of Saul trying to take away David's life. Pursuing him. Threatening him. Multiple times. And yet after Saul died and David became king over all Israel, he brought in one of the last servants of Saul's house and asked him this question. Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Now think about the story of David and Saul. David had all the reasons why 
he should be bitter and angry against Saul. If anyone had reasons to be bitter against another person, it was David towards Saul. Decades of being physically threatened and pursued by the king who had gone mad. Decades. Yet when David became king, he chose to respond towards Saul and his house with kindness. And he qualified the kindness. It's not just any kind of human kindness. He said, the kindness of God. Friends, is there someone towards whom you are holding bitterness and grudges? Friend, if you want to fight bitterness, the path of repenting of that bitterness is to take the path of kindness. What would it look like for you to respond with the kindness of God towards those against whom you hold a grudge or towards those with whom you are bitter? Ask God to show you what responding with the kindness of God would look like in your context. Be kind to one another. A second way, a second alternative to fighting bitterness is to be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. To be tender-hearted means to having tender feelings for someone. Tender-hearted means having tender feelings for someone or being compassionate. Friend, ask yourself, in, in those relationships or situations that have caused you bitterness or irritation, do you seek to maintain tender feelings for those situations or those people? Consider replacing irritation with tender feelings. Do you seek to show compassion to the people you are irritated towards? Do you seek to serve them in place of, of holding on to the irritation? When you have reasons to be frustrated or to complain or to become bitter, what would it look like for you to respond with tender feelings towards the other person? When you're tempted to respond harshly or with a distant attitude, what would it look like for you to show tenderness? Friends, it's hard to show kindness of the kindness of God towards someone without your heart being tender towards them. To show kindness, you have to be tender-hearted. And a third way, a third alternative is forgiveness. Forgive one another. The word for forgiving is related to another, another word in the Greek language that means grace. So to forgive means extending grace, extending favor to someone who does not deserve it. To forgive also means canceling a debt so that nothing is owed. When we truly forgive, we're no longer continuing the debt of the wrongs done by another person or by other people against us. If we think we have forgiven someone, but we still remember. Have you heard that phrase, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget? Well, friends, that phrase could actually be a phrase coming out of bitterness. Because oftentimes the reason why we would remember and we would choose not to forget is so that we rehearse the resentment. Oh, friends, consider that forgiveness actually means canceling the debt. The reason why we can respond with forgiveness to bitterness and anger is because of the gospel. Look again at the way verse 32 ends. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, the gospel is the message that God has every reason, rightly, to be angry with us. 
because he created us in his image and likeness to represent him and his reign and his character among all the earth. But instead of presenting his character, instead of submitting joyfully to his reign, we have rebelled against his reign. We have chosen to, to take the side of God's enemy, to take the devil's cues and follow him in rebelling against our God. God has every right, and he is holy in his anger against sinners. God is also slow to anger. He is gracious. He sent Jesus, his only son, to come and dwell with us, take upon himself human flesh, to live a perfect life, and then to be crucified on a cross. Not because he had any sin of his own, but because he took the sin of all those who would repent and trust in Christ. He took it upon himself so that anyone who would return to God, anyone who would repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, would be granted forgiveness of sins. Friends, in Christ, God has forgiven you if you would turn to him. The reason why we can forgive one another, the reason why we are called to act with forgiveness instead of bitterness, instead of harshness, instead of withdrawal, instead of distance, instead of irritation, the reason why we can respond with forgiveness is because God in Christ has forgiven us. Pastor Brian Davis, a friend of mine and a friend of Pastor Taylor Worley, he's a pastor in, uh, in a church in Philadelphia, Risen Christ Fellowship. He called a Christian brother one day and said to him, I sinned against you. I need to ask you for your forgiveness. And the brother responded, Oh, this is going to be easy. Brian said, Huh? The guy said, I sinned so much against God. And he's forgiven me of everything I've done. No matter what you've done, it will be nothing compared to how I've sinned against him. Let's talk about it. Brian said, I confessed my sin against him. And he said, it's forgiven. It's forgotten. I love you. Friends, this is what it means to forgive others. Just as God in Christ forgave you. When you have reasons to be bitter, when you have reasons to be angry, when you have reasons to feel distant and withdraw, or feel cold, or, feel, or give the, the, the other person the cold shoulder, you may not act in, in ways that are visible angry. You may feel like it's a more controlled form of, ang or, or of anger. You're still acting angry. Forgiveness is a way to put away all anger. Kindness tender-heartedness and forgiveness. Holding on to bitterness, letting various forms of quiet anger to fester inside our hearts is the very opposite of the gospel. When we have an anger problem, we have a forgiveness problem. When we have an anger problem, we have a gospel problem. That's why the Apostle Paul closes this chapter about the difference between putting off the old and putting on the new with calling believers to put away all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all shouting, 
all slander. Friends, granting forgiveness as God has forgiven us, it is one of the most beautiful and sweet ways to put the gospel on display as believers. So I would like to ask you, my dear friends, would you like God to forgive you with the same kind of forgiveness that you are willing to extend to others? Would you like God to forgive you with the same extent of forgiveness that you are extending to others? That would be devastating to my soul. Let the forgiveness that God extended to us be the standard, be the measure by which we desire and are willing to forgive others. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have given us the forgiveness of our sins. You have made us right with you. And Father, thank you for reminding us that in Jesus Christ, you have also made us right with one another. And you have given us reasons. You have given us ways. You have given us a foundation by which we can cultivate that horizontal rightness of relationships. Father, open our eyes for every one of us here this morning to see how anger and bitterness can easily lodge in our hearts in various subtle means and forms. Would you help us to uproot it? Would you help us to fight it off? Not in our own strength, not just so that we can be better people, but help us to root it out, help us to remove it based on the foundation of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to be people who are known for our kindness. Help us to be people who are known for our tender-heartedness towards one another. Help us to be people who are known for our forgiveness of each other. We pray all this, O Lord, for the glory of your great name, so that we may be a people through whom you manifest your kingdom and reign on the earth. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.